Good morning, Covenant College. <laughs> this morning, uh, I again have the privilege of introducing a faculty chapel speaker, uh, the final in our series, Listening to Scripture. Uh, this morning's speaker really needs no introduction, but I'm not going to let that stop me from giving him one anyway. Uh, in many important ways, Dr. Bill Davis is the walking, living, breathing embodiment of the Covenant College tradition. <laughs> right? That wasn't supposed to be funny. A brilliant mind, a servant's heart, a master teacher, uh, and a deeply committed disciple of Jesus who, in all that I see him do, whether working in his guild serving in his church, interacting with his students, caring for his family, or applying his trade as an ethicist at uh, Memorial Hospital. He takes seriously his commitment to declare the preeminence of Christ in all things. As many of you know, Dr. Davis and I haven't always seen things the same way on a variety of basic issues involving what it means to think and live out our callings as Christians in the modern world. I think to sum it up, Dr. Davis thinks you're special <laughs> and that you're probably going to change the world. <laughs> and I, of course, know that you aren't and that you won't. <laughs> but Dr. Davis and I stand together on a great many things, a great many more things and more important things than we disagree. I count it a high honor to call him my colleague and my friend. Uh, Dr. Davis is a 1982 graduate of Covenant. He holds graduate degrees from Westminster Seminary in California and the University of Notre Dame. He is the husband of Linda, father of Jonathan, Amy, Rachel, and Mark, the father-in-law of Winter, and the grandpa of Hannah. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Bill Davis. I'm too old to see that clock. Uh, I've, um, I've asked some people to warn me with signs, literal signs, when I'm going too long. I used to give Chaplain Messner a terrible time for going over even one minute. I'll try to meet that. <clears throat> this morning I'm going to introduce you to a very old friend of mine. I don't talk him very, about him very much, and I haven't talked to him for quite a few years, and that's part of the um, part of the story here. His name is Herman, um, and he is my idolatry alarm system. Um, Herman is my ulcer. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, when you're, when you're afflicted, you need to name it. It's, it's helpful. And, and I've known uh, since uh, my freshman year uh, here at Covenant, I've known Herman because I was a very, very bad time, sinfully bad time worrier uh, about grades especially, but of course none of that happens to any of you, and at this time of year none of you are struggling with anything like this. So I'm hoping that maybe my own disastrous history can help you just a little. Um, my worry about grades was a symptom uh, and the ulcer that would grab at my gut right there. Herman lives 
um, would flare up when I was trusting myself rather than trusting Christ. Um, I have an idolatry of self-sufficiency. I have a whole collection of them. If you want to ruin your week, month, something, go get Tim Keller's Counterfeit Gods. It, it turns out that I'm in love with all of those idols. But I'm especially in love with the idol that, that shows up as output. And it reminds me that I am great. Now, that, that wasn't funny, okay? That one was supposed to be you somberly said, that is true. <laughs> you shouldn't trust yourself more than Jesus, but yes, indeed, you are great. That would have been fine. The problem with all idols, and you know this, the Bible tells us, uh, and you know it from your own experience, is that idols disappoint. And trusting myself is disappointing because I never provide what I need. So let me tell you the plan for what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to read Matthew 6, section of Matthew 6. I'm going to talk about my relationship with Herman, how he showed up, what I tried to do about it, things that work, things that don't. Uh, I'm going to do a little philosophy stuff very briefly, very, very briefly, uh, because worry is a species of doubt, and if there's an epistemological uh, playground for me, it's doubt. And, and worry is a sinful species of doubt. There are not sinful species of doubt, and I'll say a word about them, but Matthew is, uh, is the New Testament writer who I think says the most about doubt. And then I will try to heed the challenge that Dr. Dryden gave us on Wednesday when he said that we need to do more than be suspicious of God's love for us and to take practical steps. I quote, I asked him for the text. I was here, but I didn't get it all down. Uh, while dealing with the same grief and uncertainty as Martha, Mary has come to Jesus in a way that is more trusting and less suspicious. She knows that what she needs most is actually to be with him in her grief. Martha, uh, Martha had suspicion and platitudes, and Mary knew that she needed to be with him. She needed to trust him and be with him. So I'll try to give you some practical things to do as well. So consider uh, Matthew 6, 25 uh, through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Neither, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Please pray with me.
Heavenly Father, this seems so simple that we could stop worrying simply by deciding to stop worrying. Maybe by looking around and reminding ourselves with platitudes that you clothe the lilies and that you feed the birds. We ask that you would be bending our hearts to you, that we would love you more, and in that loving, we would understand you better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Herman's arrival in my life is sort of a textbook on how to squander the promises that Jesus gives here in Matthew 6. I need to say a word about the story that I'm going to tell. I have been very carefully not telling this story in my classes for about a year because I've known that I was going to speak in chapel for about a year. And this is one of my favorite stories. And if you've had me for class, you know that stories about me are really my favorite way to spend class time. I mean, we could talk about Kant, but he's not nearly as interesting as me. <laughs> so I've been not telling this story, and it's, this is going to serve for the Intro to Philosophy class that's meeting right now. This is the story that I normally tell when we start talking about Descartes, which is next week. So this is just going to have to cover it. If you're not in chapel today and you're in my intro class, tough. Get the, you know, get the recording. <clears throat> I'm tempted to let it count for my May term offering of the Intro to Philosophy class, uh, but maybe that would be too ambitious. But I'm going to be teaching intro in May term, so maybe it'll come up again there. When I was a freshman uh, here at Covenant, uh, and this is a really important fact to me, I'd never received a B on anything in my life prior to showing up here. It shouldn't be an important fact. It's a completely irrelevant fact about anything that actually matters, but it was really important to me. Uh, ask Becky Pennington. <laughs> she knew. And I took, there was no introduction to philosophy class when I was a freshman. Uh, you had to start philosophy with modern philosophy, which meant you, you did Descartes right out of the gate, and you had uh, Gordon Clark as your tormentor. Um, <clears throat> and it was, it, was, it was hard, but it was worse than hard. It was uh, deep, it was a crisis, because I turned into my first paper, and I got it back, and it was a B. To make it slightly worse, other people in the class got A's. This is wrong. Logan Thomas's dad, Rock, who was in the class, he got an A. I remember this. And he kept getting A's, and I kept getting B's. And I had a sneaking suspicion that I was getting B's because of your dad, Logan. <clears throat> Toward the end of the semester, I started, to have, um, I started to have digestion issues, which manifests itself in all sorts of squalid ways that I'm not going to detail. <laughs> the only one that I'm going to talk about is pain. Like, like somebody was sticking me with a ballpoint pen really hard right there. Just, um, so bad that I got to the point where I couldn't sleep. So I made changes. Uh, none of them spiritually helpful, but I made changes. I changed my diet. I went to a bland diet. I had oatmeal three meals a day without sugar or salt, just oatmeal. I needed sustenance. Um, but then I couldn't sleep either. <coughs> this was bad. I'll tell you what happened in a minute about that. I want to say what worry is. I now know at the time I didn't have a context. I didn't really have a way of thinking theologically about worry. Worry was all about uh, me and whether or not I would be good enough to the moment. 
But in the Matthew 6 description of worry, when Jesus is talking, when Jesus is admonishing the disciples not to worry, he says, oh, you of little faith, which is a phrase that appears five times total in the book of Matthew, and only one other time in the entire New Testament, and that's in Luke when it's quoting the, the, past, the same event where Jesus says, why are you worrying about what you will eat and what you will wear? Matthew is fascinated, I think, with the, the idea of little faith. So let me just very quickly tell you the four places it shows up. The disciples are in the back of the boat, and the boat is going to sink. And Jesus, the disciples are in the boat. Jesus is asleep in the back. And the wind and the waves come up, and they cry out, Lord, we are perishing. And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? In Matthew 14, Peter's making his first uh, attempt to walk on the water probably last. And when he starts to sink, he calls out to the Lord, save me. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. I think in those two cases, it's little faith is seeing Jesus. They got Jesus right there. And out of fear, not believing. That's the, their belief was insufficient. But in this case, it's fear. I don't think when you're fearful, Unless you've nurtured the fear, I don't think that kind of fear is sin. In Matthew 16 and Matthew 17, it appears, uh, the, the phrase little faith appears again. One is about the leaven of the Pharisees, and the, Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, and the disciples are saying, we, we, we don't have bread anywhere. And Jesus says, oh, you little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Don't you know? And then... The commentary that comes after that from Matthew is, then they understood. And I think that's a case where it's still not a sin. Little faith was, the gap in their believing between what it was and what it should be was they just didn't understand something. The problem I was having about my, my anxiety about my grades wasn't fear. Well, it was a fear, but it was a fear of me not being big enough, not great enough to handle it. Um, and not a, it wasn't about understanding. Mine was sin. And the only other place, I think, in, in, Matthew 7, in, Matthew, uh, in Matthew's gospel where little faith is sin is in chapter 17 when the disciples were unable to cast out the demon that was giving the boy the fits. The disciples came to him privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. And I think it's, here I have to add to the text, but I think it's because they had come to the point where they were trusting their own ability to cast demons out. They'd had all the success, and they were trusting themselves. And that in that case, doubt, worry is a sin. Now, <clears throat> ooh, I'm on my time. In the notes here it says, it should be 1120. That's what it says right there. It should be. And it is. I'm very pleased. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, it's just, thank you, Jesus, there. How about that? Um, <laughs> um, I want to talk about the practical things you can do, but I want to give you a couple of false starts, a couple of things that don't work. It, it is really disappointing to me that the only, Disney music, the only Disney song that includes the word philosophy is the single most wretched of all the Disney songs. Stop and think. You can do it. What's the one? It's Hakuna Matata. 
It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Yeah. One. And it's awful. Um, listen to that song, because here's the message of Hakuna Matata. You're worried about something? Stop. <laughs> it's no worries for the rest of our days. See? Hakuna Matata. This is, this is like sugar-coated stoicism, okay, if, if you want to know. <clears throat> Can, uh, cotton candy stoicism. It's just stop, and it's not that simple. You know that when you're worried, it's, just about, it's not a matter of saying, oh, my soul, quit it. <laughs> For the most part, and you know, that makes it worse. Here's another way that it won't help. You, you need to cut off from your life enablers. For me, Gordon Clark was an enabler of... Because what happened was I went to the final, and I had prepared my eyeballs out. Well, I couldn't sleep, so what can you do when you're not sleeping? You could study. Uh, and I did, maniacally. My entire self-concept, my very meaning in the world was on the line. I was ready for this test. And back then, uh, Becky, I see Becky. We had three hours for the finals back then, right? Yeah, three-hour finals. You are worthless and weak, you two. We had three, and I went to the finals already. Writing. Rock Thomas left. Yes, I had more to say than he did. <laughs> After two and a half hours, I was the only one there, and I'm still writing feverishly. And uh, Gordon Clark got up from behind his table where he'd been sitting the entire time like this. If you ever asked him what he was doing, he'd say, my body is here, but my soul is in the south of France. <clears throat> well, he got up from, up from the table, and he walked over, and he picked up, my, picked up my test, and he put it in the trash can. Now, before I finish this story, I'm not going to do this to any of you, ever. I've never been tempted to do what comes next. I said, what? 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 I couldn't even come up with sentences. <clears throat> he said, I know that you care enough. You get an A. <laughs> that was bad on a number of levels. It was really bad because it made things worse. It taught me the solution to your worrying problems is to care more. It's sort of like the negative of a kuna matata. <laughs> Trust yourself even more. No, that was, that was bad. So let me try to give you some advice about what would be better than that. It's really easy to be better than that. I have set the bar incredibly low. I can do better than Disney and total enabling. <clears throat> I need to say just very briefly, no more than a minute, about there are natural helps for worry. Uh, my friend Brian Crossman would want you to know that eating healthy food and getting exercise will mean you will worry less, because this is just true. Um, the love of other people can cause you to worry less, especially if you let them love you. You believe them when they tell you that they care about you, because they are, in that, in that way, 
they are instruments, ministers of Christ's love for you. So it's not that you have to love them rather than Jesus, it's that his love for you and his sufficiency for you flows through them. It, but that's, that happens with non-Christians. There's something natural about that. And there's a certain amount of uh, help that comes from just reaching a point in life where absolutely everything is not up in the air. The worst time in your life for worry is while you're a student. Everything is still to come. I've got a wife who loves me. Okay, these people are warning me that I need to end. Good. See, I was trusting them. It meant I wasn't going to worry about whether I was going to go over because I trusted. This is a good idea. Trust other people. None of those are sufficient for the idolatry problem. They can make the pain less, the pain of the ulcer less. <clears throat> Here's what will help is supernatural healing. It takes a long time, but I can tell you some of the steps to take. One that's been very important for me is you need to rest. And especially you need to rest on the Sabbath. God says six days is enough to do all the work you have to do. And the seventh is a gift. It's a gift. It's a reminder of God's provision for you. You don't need to work. So um, some of you know that I, I carry around these three-by-five cards that tell me what to do every day. These are the, the remaining vestiges of my idol of productivity. I'm really happy when I check everything off. And there's a date in the upper left-hand corner. This is the things to do today. And I never throw anything away, so I have drawers full of these. <laughs> I do. It's kind of fun to do a trip down memory lane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny either. <clears throat> in all of my collections of these, there are zero of these that have a Sunday date. Because I never have to do anything. God has done it all. The reminder of it is that on the Lord's Day, I just remember that God has provided everything for me in Christ and absolutely. So rest. You don't need to do any work. <clears throat> worship is another thing to do. If you think about what you do during worship, it is a festival of profaning the idol of self-sufficiency. You spend time adoring God for his goodness and his power and his love. You spend time confessing your sins and admitting that you are not sufficient in yourself. And you listen to the word of God, you submit yourself to God instructing you, saying, you don't know enough yet. Here, I make myself available to you. Uh, the corporate worship of God, private worship are anti-self-sufficiency activities. And the, the benefit that you get from it is not the natural benefit. It is supernatural healing. It, the Holy Spirit works through those things to mortify in you a fascination with your own sufficiency. And the last thing. The last thing is to pray. Clearly, Philippians 4 tells us that we should not be anxious, but that instead we should pray and that the peace of God which passes all understanding will be ours. 1 Peter 5 tells us that we should <clears throat> cast all our cares on him because he loves us. Psalm 4, last piece of practical advice. Uh, Tim, Keller, uh, Tim Keller argues <clears throat> uh, following uh, Eugene Peterson, I was listening to the sermon again last night, that Psalm 4 is an evening prayer. It's a prayer to be prayed on your bed 
when, like me, when I was struggling with my ulcer. I couldn't sleep because I was anxious. In the evening prayer of Psalm 4, and I'm going to close with it in a second, the evening prayer is what Keller calls a passive petitionary prayer. The form of the prayer is, this is what I want, Lord. I'm turning it over to you. Keller says that what we, what we learn from the Bible is that God will always answer our prayers and he, he will always give us exactly what we would have asked for if we knew all that he knows. You don't have to worry about anything. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine, knows absolutely everything, and is providing it for you. Let me close then by reading from Psalm 4. <clears throat> be angry, or be, uh, be agitated, and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices, and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face on us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You're dismissed.